you heard of any CXOs? I'd never heard of this until Chief Experience Officer. Yeah. Is that is it related to like a is it related to a sense of belonging on campus? Does it have connections to DEI? Or is it more about like, no. oh, here's your here's your sweatshirt and um kind of it's yeah, we're gonna have of, fun. It's a little bit of everything. So okay. the, the, this person has their hands in everything. So they're looking for like pain points. They're looking for. Okay. My only, my only um, objection to this might be if, so it's only at five universities. Yeah. There's no, there's yeah, no community colleges that have one. Uh, okay. No community colleges. They're all, all based on the chronicles findings. They're all at universities, but there's some places that don't even have doing. There's some folks, there's some, Community colleges that don't have even have chief diversity officers, uh, let alone yeah. chief experience yeah. officers. But what this one is doing, I mean, it's so okay. The the, the it says the CXO's work is a blend of marketing, student affairs, and admissions, mm-hmm. charged with recruiting and retaining students, just as human resources officials do for faculty and staff members. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of stuff that everyone's doing anyways. They're just kind of prioritizing it by putting it at a, at a cabinet level. Yeah. Like one of these examples, the person lives in the student residence hall. So he's like, I'm a punching bag, but at least they're telling me where the pain points are. And then I can take that back to the cabinet. I'm like, that's, you get free housing. That's an interesting, (laughs) like, okay. I mean, couldn't we just put together a form? Are students (laughs) really coming to you and going, hey, dude, like you did this and you, I mean, it feels like a lot of energy. I'm actually more annoyed by this article than I am. <laughs> I mean, I, the idea is interesting, but it's, I don't know. I feel like this is it. We just did the chit chat. That was it. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm wondering. It's I, happening wondering. right now. This is meta. Welcome to Pure and Simple. <laughs> You're listening to us rehearse the chit chat. And instead, you just listened to it and it happened. Welcome to behind the scenes and the scenes. You're behind the curtain. You're in the curtain. You're in front of the curtain. You are the curtain. You are the curtain. Oh, my gosh. In September 2021, Duolingo, the world's most popular language learning platform, had 50,000 TikTok followers. As of late January of this year, it had 5.7 million. 5.7 million. That's an increase of 11,300%. I don't know if that's the right number. Jacqueline did the calculation, so we, 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 we've we got to blame her. And yes, we triple-checked that number. Wait, I should have read ahead. <laughs> Zaria Parvez, Duolingo's global social media manager and one of Forbes 30 under 30 in social media last year, is largely responsible for that leap. And NCNPR is thrilled to have her as our closing keynote speaker at this year's national conference in March. We don't want to give anything away from her speech, but we're excited to introduce you to Zaria, plus share a tip or two that might help your college grow your social media platforms. So Zaria, welcome to Peer and Simple. We're so glad to have you with us uh, today. I, I got to ask you, I don't even know how this is possible. I've looked at this this prep sheet like 25 times trying to figure this out. 5.7 million followers on TikTok, is this is this legit? Is this serious? You're not pulling our leg here. You know it. Five point seven. Five point seven. Okay. Well, we're pretty impressed with that. I'm not going to lie. I'm uh, 
I'm barely on TikTok. So that 5.7 million followers on TikTok, this is the real deal. So we could do a whole separate podcast on that, but just amazing. When you started at Duolingo, did you even dream of building that kind of following? I think I had a dream of being an iconic brand and creating an iconic brand, but I didn't know where it would come from and how it would look and how like soon it would be within my career, I think. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. The other thing I meant to ask was, did you check up on us to see if we had done our lessons uh, today or not? <laughs> I didn't do that. That's the engineering team. I just, <laughs> I just, I just push people. I don't know if, if they actually do it or not. My job the is just patients are real and, and <laughs> they don't let you go if you haven't, uh, if you haven't done your lesson for the day. So I'll yeah, make sure to absolutely. get back from there. So I, I was also impressed by the 5.7 million. I was scrolling through the Duo TikTok yesterday. I am not an active app user. So, you know, I knew of it. I've heard people talk about it. I've heard people, you know, Jeff mentioned that he's used it at some point in time. So um, I had to do my research. So I looked around. And so, of course, then I was like, well, let me get on the TikTok and see what this is all about. So, you know, Owl is so cute. We love Duo. Big duo fan over here. Um, I, I really enjoyed watching him and figuring out who he is. Um, I learned that there are many sub threads within the duo world. I learned about duo and duo Lipa. I learned about Spanish or Vanish. I learned, I learned so many things yesterday. Wow. Um, none of which is second language, but I did learn a lot about duo. So, mm-hmm. you know, talking about that, Duo is very, um, I'm sure the kids don't say this, but Duo was hip with it. Like <laughs> Duo um, had a, a reference to the World Cup where he um, was showing off his best messy moves in the office and asking if if Argentina was going to win it, which they did. Woo woo. And then there's like another post with, um, it's like a picture of Shakira's jam and it says PK's tears on it. And if anyone is, has listened to the Shakira biz rap, um, it's a bop and, um, you know, duos in on it too. Like those two things have nothing to do (laughs) with the app itself. So how do you use these topics, these trending things, um, to kind of make Duo, uh, not Duo itself, but the app itself appeal to more people. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from all of this is that we have learned to trust our consumer and trust our user, trust our followers. And what we mean by that is like a lot of the times when we work in marketing, we really think that we have to say, okay, I'm going to push my product and I'm going to give you a call to action that says download this and then they'll get it and everything will make sense. Um, And that's honestly treating like adults who are like consuming your product as like five-year-olds, right? Like giving them everything and spoon feeding it. And the reality is, is like people are going to download and go after what they need and when they need it. Um, and we need to build more brand awareness and just relevancy in their lives. Mm -hmm. And that comes through cultural moments that they're in that comes through the world cup that everybody's watching that comes through all these things that they're naturally already talking about because like language learning is not a common topic that a lot of people talk about. And like, that's just the reality. And that's really common for like a lot of like, I would say non-sexy like mediums that aren't Mm -hmm. like these big brands that we've known from before. 
So we found it really effective to just join in on the conversation and trust our consumer that they're going to click on our profile. They're going to see what Duolingo is. And then when they need to learn a language, hopefully they'll come back and think about us. And it's pretty crazy because when we have like viral moments or we do these cool things, we'll actually see like a large uptick in users for our app without even telling them to download the app, without even alluding to a language, without even going back to really what Duolingo is and in the sense of like what do we offer. But a big part of like our mission has been to make education accessible and make it fun. So mm-hmm. we feel like we still are meeting our values with what we're creating. We're just not pushing a product down people's throats anymore. Right. I, I love the way you said that because I think, you know, our, our podcast is geared towards higher ed marketers and, and, yeah. and communicators. And I think that sometimes some institutions do it really well. Some mm-hmm. institutions struggle with, with what you just talked about, right? Where instead of, you know, everything's got to be, don't forget, go to the website and register today. It's like, well, what is that? You know, uh, of course, right? And so do you have any advice for, higher ed folks who are trying to break away and, and trust the com- consumer and kind of get out of that traditional mold of, of speaking to their audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I honestly have such a special place in my heart for higher ed because like we come from a very similar background, I think with being like right. an education based app. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of pressure, right. To like, we're education based, we're linguistics based, we should be talking properly and have the right punctuation and do all this stuff because that's our brand. And then people are going to associate language learning. Like if we don't do it, like all these things spiral really fast. Um, And then you're also dealing with the reality that like, honestly, education, like language learning, it's not the sexiest thing, right? Like it's not (laughs) the coolest thing to talk about that you can always do cool things with. Um, So for us, we've really worked on like, figuring out how to iterate small, but dream big. And I think that is like a really, that's like, that's a human truth that I think any brand can take away with them. And especially like the non-sexy brands that like we have to deal with, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what I mean by that is like, there should be a vision and this North Star of like what you want your brand to be and what you think your brand's truth is. So for us at Duolingo, our truth is language learning is hard, but we make it fun. Mm -hmm. So whenever we iterate on a video and every video is a learning experience, we're always changing the next thing we're doing. We're always figuring out what our community likes. So our iteration always goes back to that human truth and it all builds towards that value statement. And we all know that's what we're working toward. And that's also what we compare like our content against. Like, is this showing that language learning can still be fun? Are we still showing fun in some way? Um, And I, I think any brand, any person, any marketing team can have that human truth. It's just a matter of, you know, your brand the best. So you know what that truth will be. And yeah, just the importance of iterating small and dreaming big. That's great. We don't want to give away uh, too much about your closing keynote. And thank you so much for being the closing keynote for our conference. We're super excited about that. Uh, But it seems like this idea of brand safety ties in a bit with your topic. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So honestly, at Duolingo, when we think of what we do and how we want to do it, we we really pinpoint it against this concept of calculated risk, which I'll talk a lot about in my keynote as well. But essentially, it's about a bold decision that marries intention with impact Hmm. and understanding how those come to life together and how those come to play, um, which helps you take risks and risks that might, maybe it's too far for one brand, but makes sense for our brand. And it just depends on what your brand is and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So we really keep this concept of calculated risk. And then, that um, together with this idea of our brand values, when we 
when we marry those together, I think it really becomes, we know when we're going to take these risks and what brand safety is for us. And as Mm -hmm. long as we're always connected to our brand's values, um, for example, like we're super LGBTQ friendly. So we're going to post content about that because that's who we are. Those are our values. Um, It's easier to take riskier content in that sense and take risks. You know, so much of what you're saying right now is something that we in higher ed struggle with and have struggled with since social media came on the scene is we understand our students, we understand our brands and, and, you know, people who um, are in higher ranking positions are terrified of Mm -hmm. all of that. So I think your strategy behind it really puts it out in plain terms and, and helps explain like, this is, you know, I love what you said about, um, oh gosh, you said intention, Say it one more time. It was so good. Impact and impact at Mary's. Yes, I love that, and I think that you know that's what we're trying to do, and not just call to action, call to action all the time. Um, so, th- thank you for sharing that. I think that's so helpful, and I think that's something that a lot of us can maybe take back. A little about you. You worked on a thesis for your degree about making a brand presence that could have a positive impact on the world. Um, And I think that concept really speaks to community colleges. You know, we're in the business of helping students, um, helping them, whatever that looks like, right? If it's it's upskilling, if it's um, starting right out of high school, if it's coming back to learn something brand new. Um, So we totally have that in common. Tell me about your thesis project. Yeah. So my senior year of college, I wrote a thesis, um, which is pretty much like a brand playbook for how brands can interact with first generation Muslim Americans and Mm -hmm. like how to really bring representation forward in marketing. Um, And to take a step back, like honestly, the reason why I wanted to be in marketing and be in social particularly was I grew up as like a Muslim kid in Oregon and I never really saw positive representation of Muslims ever. Mm -hmm. Like it was always very skewed, very um, single minded, like image of what a Muslim is when it's Mm -hmm. so different and various as any group is. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, like in college, it was at the point where I was like, why not me? Like, why? Why not? Like, why shouldn't I be the one to go in there and see like what change I can do? or how I can bring that representation forward myself. Um, So against my parents' wishes, I became a marketing degree. (laughs) Um, And I just fell in love with social and how on the pulse of culture it was and like how we were able, as like with my experiences being a Muslim, but also being Gen Z and also like growing up in the States and having different identities and like how all these things can like create content that really resonates with like different people and for a brand that's very true to my ethos and being very mission driven. Um, So that thesis was just like one look at like the the specific audience of Muslims in America and like first gen Muslims. So these are Muslim kids that are like born and raised here, but hold multiple identities. They feel American, but they also feel connected to back home. And it's all Mm -hmm. these like different things that come to play Mm -hmm. that really help you navigate. Like, again, that idea of calculated risk, because those are risks they've taken their entire lives. They're trying to adapt to different audiences, like from like when they were younger to now um, and how that can really create viral and impactful content. So it's pretty much the gist is why diversity matters and representation can really bring good business impact, but also Mm -hmm. good cultural nuance um, and impact there as well. That's great. I want to go back to something you said earlier when we were talking about, you know, Duolingo and its connection to 
you know, the, the connection between Duolingo as an educational project and then, and then, uh, higher ed as well. Cause I, I think there are a lot of what I think on the higher ed side, folks would call disruptors in terms of educational program offerings, right? Whether that are not traditional, whether it's something like Coursera or any of the numerous university offering or college offerings that are on YouTube or, or platforms like that. And so, there's, there's this, um, there's this struggle, right? Because I think we recognize the power of a program, programs like that, but we also have territory or we're stuck in like, this is, you know, this is our world, right? So when you, when you look at that from a Duolingo perspective, how do you, how do you find a way to say to higher ed, okay, we can be partners in this. We can provide, we can work together to make sure that students succeed and they have, you know, positive post-completion outcomes that don't put them in dead-end jobs, right? But th- there's, there, is there space for everybody here, I guess is what I'm saying. And if there is, and I think there is, how do we do that well? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think a lot of it is understanding like who we're trying to talk to. And I feel like when we think about higher ed, we're probably talking about younger students, potentially, like that's probably a good intercept. But there's also obviously a a lot of different people go in tired for a lot of different reasons throughout age groups. But if we're just focusing, say like Gen Z, um, I think there's a way to talk to them in a way that resonates with them and they still understand how they want to execute on that and where they want to go with it. Um, so for us, like a big issue that we dealt with internally was like, ling- our whole thing is like linguistics, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're language learning, education, like And when you're doing linguistics, people expect that you are tip-top shape, you know what you're talking about, your grammar and everything is perfect, Hmm. Um, which was a big tension point with who our audience that we were trying to reach, which was Gen Z, where they don't expect that of you and they think it's ingenuine, right, if you talk that way. So all of a sudden, we have this tension point where the social team is talking like lower caps, broken English, like just not doing all these linguistic rules that we teach. Mm -hmm. And it came up being like, are they going to trust us as like a legitimate place to like learn a language and be a legitimate Mm. place maybe to like get an education. Um, And we learned that, yeah, they do. (laughs) Because when you resonate more with them and you hit them on a deeper personal level, they're going to look into your product. And the product you have is most of the time, all the products we offer as marketers is good. Like there's good things in there. There's good Mm -hmm. things that it offers. Very rarely is it like bad and not good and we're scamming people. That's not what we're doing. Um, and I think once you've established that trust with them, your product does the rest of the talking, right? Like mm-hmm. what you offer does the rest of the talking and they understand that. And I think that's kind of, it's a little counterintuitive, especially for us. Like if you just, if you don't push the product the way that you think you might, you know, like they're okay with that and they're, they're going to figure it out. And I think mm-hmm. there's space for everyone to do that. Like if we could do that with linguistics, where like literally we stopped writing and proper punctuation and things. And that was like, <laughs> world, like mind blown that yes. this is happening. So yeah. I think every brand and every hire, everyone has this tension point and it's just overcoming where connecting with your audience is so much more impactful than like pushing things forward with your product. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It just seems as if, if, if higher ed is not careful, mm-hmm. and I guess I would say higher ed, big H, big E, you know, the, the, the <laughs> traditional sense of it that, there are others out there in spaces that are doing what we're doing and they're doing it in spaces and then doing it in ways that, that um, are attractive to younger generations. And so we need to figure out how to 
how to build our product in that way. And, but continue, you know, and I think when, when you start talking that way, sometimes folks in academia think you're talking about a lack of rigor or, you know, or, or quality. And that's not the case. And I think that's what you've said. It, it can be a yes and. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I think, and I think that's the best part about it is that we are able to make jokes. We're able to make fun of things. We're able to be silly and unhinged on social because we know our product is so good and because we believe in it so much that we know that once you get hooked on us, you're going to enjoy it and you're going to like it and you're going to learn something. And I think with everyone having that mentality too, inevitably also the people developing the actual product are also going to work harder and be harder. So it's a very collective cross-functional like belief in what you're offering. And that I think exceeds all truly because people can see that they can read that and they get excited about it with you. The idea is big, (laughs) but the explanation behind it isn't revolutionary. Let's say, you know, the action is revolutionary, right? Like we're, we're talking to our students in a different way. We're, we're putting out content that to a non-gen ZI is like, what, (laughs) huh? Why am I not getting this? Why, what, this isn't for me. We're not doing it right. And that is definitely one of the struggles um, for all of us. So I'm I'm so excited that you're speaking because I think a lot of us are going to be um, energized by what you're saying and be able to now go back to our campuses. You also had the recognition this last fall of being named as one of Forbes 30 under 30. That's awesome. Congratulations to you. No easy feat. I, I looked through and you are in um, some really spectacular companies. And that says a lot about what you have brought to Duo's social media. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing is like, it's going to be this constant thing where like creating more content for subcultures and for people who haven't felt represented before. I think for me, like even the coolest thing about it is that now when people like see that list, they have to say Zaria. And Zaria is a Muslim name. It's a name that you're not used to. Like even something as small as that, like to me, that's like groundbreaking because when I was younger, I never saw someone with a similar name to me or something like that um, that looked like me. So even that simple action of like now they have to say Zaria or they have to like acknowledge that more young, young, diverse talent is coming in has been really cool. And I think for me, it's just going to be this, this whole concept of like, we haven't won yet. Um, I have this strong goal and everyone at Duolingo has a strong goal of unless everyone in the world is not on Duolingo, we have work to do. And like, (laughs) this is just the beginning. Um, And we stand by that. Like we are going to keep pushing to get new users and people who are interested in our app um, and get people to learn languages and care about education And I think the coolest part about it too is like it's free and it's accessible and like everyone here has that like mission-driven attitude. Mm -hmm. So the work you're creating also feels good. Like sometimes as marketers, we get into murky areas where we're like capitalism and like what are we doing and all this stuff. But it's like when you see someone like actually learning a language or you see people have access to education that they didn't have before um, and maybe they came from an unhinged TikTok of duo twerking on a table. Like, <laughs> what? But like, that's so cool that like you can close the gap in such new ways now. And that's exciting for me. And like, honestly, in the future, I'm excited to see the new platforms that come out and how Generation Alpha after us like creates new ways to get people to like learn and be educated and care about their future um, in whatever way that is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we can confirm you still have work to do then because one of two of us is currently using the app and one is not. So you still have work to do, Zaria. You can't, you can't retire yet. You still, you still have, still have people to, to convert to the Duolingo way. So uh, thank you again for your time. One last question. And, yeah. you know, uh, NCNPR conducted a survey last year and, you know, we found that our members are really struggling with hiring diverse staff members that, that, that that's something that they've identified as they need to get better at. They want to get better at that for their institutions and especially in their marketing and communications departments. So how would you recommend that our listeners who are out there can improve that, um, improve that function within their, their offices? How can they do better at, at re- recruiting and retaining diverse candidates? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is like when we talk about diversity, we often stop there and we don't think about diversity and inclusion. Um, And what I mean by inclusion is also creating the environment of like, this is a priority for us. This is not just something we're doing to like check off a list. Um, And for me, for example, when I was like, I felt like diversity was a big thing I cared about when I was applying to jobs. And it was stressful because I was like, I don't know who actually cares and who's just like, saying Mm. it to say it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I was attracted to Duo so much was because it was inherently part of our DNA. Like being a language learning app, like you have to have people from all around the world. You have to have people who speak different languages. Um, So for me, that was like a shoe in like that makes sense. Um, And then when you come here, you also see that inclusion, that diversity. You walk and you hear people speaking different things or saying different things or doing things that make you feel like it's okay to be diverse. Um, And I think higher education is also special in that sense that Mm, education helps everyone from all walks of life, regardless of where you come from. And it's often the thing that helps you break through. Um, And I think the biggest thing is creating an environment for inclusion. And when you do that, and when people see that and recognize that, diverse talent will come. So I think Mm. more of a focus on inclusion is probably the way to go. And then diversity usually comes along with that. That's great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you. I had a blast. Pure and Simple is presented by the National Council for Marketing and Public Relations, an organization for marketing and PR professionals at the nation's two-year community colleges. For membership information, visit ncmpr.org. Pure and Simple is produced by Jacqueline Johanna Garver, communications specialist for NCMPR, and mixed by me, Bill Aldridge, at Third City Sound in Joliet, Illinois. And don't forget to subscribe, download, rate, and review Pure and Simple wherever you get your podcasts.